Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. It is trade deadline day in Major League Baseball, and it might be the best trade de- deadline ever. Is this possible, Keith? Could this actually be the best deadline we've ever seen? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't. Like, we've seen a lot of activity. I feel like we've had... S- I feel like while I was still at ESPN, I had one or two times where I was in studio and things went bananas. Like, wasn't there a Manny Ramirez after the deadline? He got traded to the Dodgers. Was that the trade? Yeah, that was a late one. That was right? a big one, too. Like we thought we were done. We were way off air when that one came through. But I have a vague memory of sitting in some random cubicle and we were done. And somebody, Buster, maybe walked over and was like, Manny Ramirez just got traded. What do you? No, we're done. They're not allowed to do that, right? <laughs> well, I think the thing that's amazing is just the sheer volume of impact players that were moved. I mean, if we look yeah. at just the big board of hitters that we thought were likely to be traded, a significant number of them were moved. A few guys that we didn't really think were likely to be traded got traded as well. And we are going to have more trades rolling in, even though we're after that four Eastern deadline. Of course, trades can be completed prior to that that haven't been reported yet. So we'll try to work those in over the course of the show as well. I'm assuming we'll hear something more. Plus there are a lot of, unless I'm behind here, it seems like there are deals where we don't have all the names yet. Yep. At least, yeah, it definitely seems like that based on the way some of these trades have been so reported. First, can I can I say too for folks who don't know? Maybe most people know this already, but as long as you get if you're with a team, as long as you get all this stuff into the commissioner's office by the deadline, then it can still be approved. So we may not hear about this till much later, but that doesn't matter, right? The fact that the deadline is passed—that's the deadline for teams to actually make the deals. Nothing. There's no public angle to that. So we could hear, but we could potentially hear about stuff an hour later. It usually doesn't happen in the Twitter era, but it could happen. Yeah, I think the biggest post-deadline deal was Justin Verlander a couple of years Verlander. ago. In recent years, that one came out after yep. the clock struck four, I believe it was, on that day. But a quick recap of the hitters. We'll break some of these deals down and talk about the prospects involved. From the hitter side... Anthony Rizzo, now a Yankee, he is gone. Whit Merrifield will stay in Kansas City, according to the Athletics' Alec Lewis. Against why? all odds, why? There's, here's the why. Trevor Story, still a Rocky? How did, how, yeah, how is that happening? That one, that one I can explain because, because they're a mess. <laughs> no one knew who to really, call. Dick, Dick Monfort didn't want to trade Trevor Story. I mean, that's almost certainly the case. Unbelievable. Yeah, this is... Well, that's, I mean, this is, I'm, I feel bad for Rockies fans at this point. There are, and I want to clarify, there are really good people working for that Rockies organization. 
This is not an indictment of the people in baseball ops. This is an indictment of the owner who he, I put the blame for the Nolan Arenado trade on him. I put the blame for a non-trade of Trevor Story on him. I think that's a fair place to place the blame. Javier Baez moved. He's now a Met. Trey Turner was part of that blockbuster deal that initially was reported yesterday, and I just saw before we went live, it has been confirmed. Max Scherzer and Trey Turner both going to Los Angeles. Chris Bryant actually was traded, so we can put the line through him. He is now a member of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, We did not see Josh Donaldson get moved. We'll keep an eye out for word of him possibly going because the Twins have been very active. Starling Marte moved to the A's earlier this week. Joey Gallo is now a Yankee, and Nelson Cruz became a member of the Tampa Bay Rays last week. So plenty of impact bats. And on the pitching side, as I mentioned, Max Scherzer, now a Dodger. Jose Barrios to the Blue Jays was a big surprise because it didn't seem mm-hmm. like he was a lock to be moved, but definitely a possibility that we talked about last big, week. It was a big trade when you consider the at least the name, the how high profile the names going back were. It's not to say that they're the best prospects, but I think those are both guys that certainly most Blue Jays fans knew. And I think a lot of people had heard of a very high draft pick and a guy who was already previously involved in a high profile trade. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle Gibson, now a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. We saw Craig Kimbrell make the move across Chicago. John Gray in the Trevor Story Club, also still a Rocky, so that's a bit of a surprise. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we find Michael Pineda has been traded, but at this time, we don't know that that's happened. Richard Rodriguez, still a pirate, seemed like he was pretty likely to be moved, but does have years of control left, so the urgency wasn't necessarily there. Uh, Taylor Rogers, other twin, obviously could be on the move here too. Kendall Graveman already flipped to the Astros. Ian Kennedy going along with Kyle Gibson to the Phillies, and then uh, Jay Happ to the Cardinals. So I, I think. Say Andrew Heaney. Did you say that one already? Andrew Heaney went to the Yankees. Yeah, I don't know if I got yep. that one on there because I didn't yep. see him getting moved. I, I thought the Angels uh, two weeks ago looked like they could have been buyers. They've kind of put themselves into a more of a selling sort of position, but he was yeah. among the most surprising players moved, I think, today. Yeah, that is, that is a surprise. I mean, it may be the right thing for them. The Angels are just, they're just in, they're stuck in this neutral. You know, they're like almost literally, like not literally, but like the metaphor is too strong, right? They are really stuck in neutral. They need to win. You have Mike Trout. You have peak Mike Trout. Now, as it turns out, you have peak Shohei Otani too. You need to put a pitching staff around those guys. They just haven't been able to do that and they haven't had time to grow sort of their own pitching staff. And so a lot of these moves to try to patch one together just hasn't, it didn't work for Billy Epler in year one for Perry Manazian. It hasn't, hasn't worked for him either. Um, I haven't seen a return yet for Heaney, but as much as I love to say, just get the best return you can, do the best you do the best you can in those deals. If I were the Angels, I'd say we'll, we'll, we'll just take pitching, any pitching, yeah. left-handed, right-handed, any-handed. We don't care. Yeah, if he can pitch, we'll we'll take him. Yeah, I think that's clearly their biggest long-term need, a very top-heavy roster. And uh, we're going to get to a guest here in just a moment. Fabian Ardaya, the Dodgers beat writer for The Athletic, will join us since they made that massive trade. I was worried that that wasn't going to go through, to be honest, Keith. I thought something was Mm going to hold it up. I thought uh, A.J. Preller was going to come in from the top rope and swoop back in and maybe get his guy somehow. But it looks like a relatively quiet deadline for the Padres. I mean, they got Jake Marisnik and Daniel Hudson, but they didn't make that big, splashy move that many people were expecting them to make. No, and if they weren't getting Scherzer, I don't know who that who was the next best option for them. I don't know. Actually, maybe Andrew Heaney would have been a good fit for them. I could have seen him being a good fit for that ballpark, but it's not an impact guy. And I'm wondering if they just decided, well, if we can't get Scherzer, we're just not. We're just not going to do it. We're not going to go get a number four starter. We're getting a number one starter. We're just not doing anything. 
Yeah, I think I'm okay with that. I think the only scenario that made sense to me once Barrios ended up in Toronto is that San Diego could do something like you described last week. Maybe go to a team like Miami, one of the few teams that had controllable pitching that they could have been willing to move, and maybe they could have worked out something for Sandy Alcantara. Right? They could have gone that route, gone the non-rental yeah, I option. Did, we talked about him because I had heard, I heard he was available. Not that he was going to get moved, but that there were. Yeah, the Marlins had at least said, we'll, we'll entertain offers. But obviously with a guy with that many years of control, right? You, you can't, you should do that and say, Hey, we'll, we'll take your offers on anybody, but there's no urgency. Right? You don't have to trade a guy like that. They, they particularly didn't have to trade a guy, trade a contra. I wonder if we'll see him get moved in the off season because with the Marlins other moves now, they, I would argue they have a starting pitching surplus, even without Sixto Sanchez, who's obviously hurt. And we don't know when we're going to see him starting again. They probably have more, healthy major league ready starters for 2022 then they have spots and then they need and they could trade from that maybe to fill some other hole marlins are they're getting good very quickly yeah and i thought they lined up pretty well with the padres too because among the things the marlins don't have in that system i don't know if they have their catcher of the future of course san diego has a guy in luis campusano who maybe could have been a good fit to help them get mm-hmm. one of those pitchers from miami let's go to our first guest for today let's bring on fabian ardaya fabian welcome to the show how's the trade deadline treating you with that blockbuster finally getting confirmed here just a little while ago yeah, I had like 500 words written on Danny Duffy, and then all of a sudden Ken Rosenthal's <laughs> tweet sort of popped up on my feed. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not writing that tonight. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, other than that, like it was pretty quiet today. It was sort of just waiting, like you guys have been talking about, for that trade to finally go official. I think I know uh, personal experience because I used to cover the Angels, and that uh, that Jock Peterson trade that fell apart sort of was always it's always in the back of your head whenever a trade takes a while to sort of become official. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, the players they sent away, we'll break them down in just a minute, but I think the two players they're acquiring, Scherzer and Trey Turner, obviously big-time impact guys. And if you told me back in March, hey, we're going to get to the trade deadline at the end of July and the Dodgers are going to have to go out and get a frontline starter, I would have laughed because why would why would they do that? Obviously, we all know what's going on with that situation. But uh, when you look at this team now, and the Duffy addition to me is significant because it gives them a little extra cushion if there's injuries or any other issues that come up. Who loses as a result of Turner being on this depth chart? Who gets squeezed the most for playing time in your eyes? Um, I would say, I mean, Gavin Lux is obviously someone that comes to mind. They sort of gave him that runway to be the everyday second baseman to start the year. Obviously, he's on the injured list now, but I mean, there's not really a place to put him. And I think, honestly, at this point, it's not really a place to put Chris Taylor, which is weird because he's an all-star this year. He'll probably plug in every day just playing at different spots. But, like, those are guys who had sort of locked in everyday spots that probably won't, or at least will have a somewhat of a different role now, as long as everyone stays healthy. And that's the big thing. Uh, Corey Seager is expected to be activated off the injury list today. Uh, and that obviously we'll see how he comes back from that. Cody Bellinger has been struggling. I, I think it helps the lineup too, just to have another impactful bat. Cause I mean, Bellinger has really been struggling. Seager wasn't necessarily hitting like he did in 2020 before he got hurt. Uh, and then Mookie Betts obviously had a slow start to the year and has been dealing with injury stuff all year long. So, I mean, just adding another impact bat is going to help them. And also just defensively having a guy who can do what Trey Turner does obviously helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely a dangerous team. And, and one that I thought maybe was going to make some upgrades in the bullpen as well. Maybe we'll learn of something that happened before the deadline that hasn't been reported yet. But were you surprised they didn't add another relief arm or two? Yes, but also I, I've, 
figure that what they did sort of allows them more flexibility with the guys that they have in their starter depth, using them as relievers. I think this opens the door up for them to maybe use like a Tony Gonsolin type out of the bullpen playoffs or use David Price back in a bullpen role like they did earlier on the year. Or even if you want, if you really like how Julio Urias performed in the playoffs last year and want to limit, limit his innings, maybe kick him to that sort of similar role. And you have a guy in Duffy who, along with Price and Gonsolin, like you can uh, soak up innings in that sense. And you, at least one of those guys you probably can trust to start a game four potentially for you know postseason series. Now, I think the other question I have for you, just related to the acquisition of Scherzer, is Clayton Kershaw and his health. Is he progressing to the point where we could see him back in action in the relative near future? Yeah, I mean, they, they considered possibly having him start Sunday, actually, but uh, they wanted to give him another simulated game in Arizona. The plan for right now is next Saturday at home against the Angels. That is when they're sort of like circling for him to return. Uh, there haven't been any other further setbacks or anything like that with the forearm that we know of. He's been able to throw through a sim game in San Francisco on Tuesday without any issues, three innings. So it looks like they were, it was a good chance for them to sort of give him a chance to get a breather in addition to make. Uh, dealing with some of the forearm stuff he was dealing with. Now, I want to kick a question to Keith about the return that the Nationals got from the Dodgers for Scherzer and Trey Turner. Keith, did you feel like this return was a little bit on the light side? My gut reaction was yes. But as I said in what I wrote uh, late last night, was that if you sit down and kind of do the math on this and look at the value of, you know, what is the possible value of essentially six years of each of the two main players they got back in the deal, pitcher Josiah Gray, catcher Kiebert Ruiz, the math's probably going to work out in their favor. They will probably be able to point to this deal in three or four years and say, look, you know, we got 10, 12, maybe more, probably more wins above replacement at very little cost. These players are going to make no money the next couple of years in exchange for two months of Max Scherzer and a year plus of, of Trey Turner. Just again, just sort of from a business perspective, this is probably going to work out very well for them. And I actually think, I think it has a chance to work out more than just very well for them. But at the same time, I look at what would Trey Turner maybe have gotten this offseason if they put him out there potentially because or if they'd separated the two was there actually really value in bundling these two together because Trey Turner's an MVP candidate and a huge difference maker at a position where there are always contenders or would be contenders looking for help at shortstop so could they have gotten a higher profile prospect a, a higher ceiling prospect you know, there's been I, I went into a lot of this there are questions about Gray there are questions about Ruiz could they have gotten a better prospect than either one of those two if they'd handled this differently if they've gone to the offseason or split the prospects i can't prove that i can only tell you that, that was kind of my gut reaction yeah and some of the returns for players with their final year of service in the offseason have been underwhelming in the last couple of winters mm -hmm. so maybe they didn't want to run into that situation that risk yeah. yeah fabian one last question for you as we kind of think about that return Kiebert Ruiz was very blocked for the Dodgers. So I think that's part of the reason why we, we see that as kind of a, a luxury that the Dodgers are able to move a guy that could be a, a good everyday catcher for a, a long time. And I guess the other question related to this is just like Corey Seager long term. Trey Turner's not a rental. Does this mean Corey Seager's very likely to depart as a free agent? I think at very least like changes the conversation because I think they sort of have gone into it knowing that they have three guys were on a similar timeline between Seager, Cody Bellinger, and Walker Buehler. And they probably have to lock up uh, one or not, if not multiple of those guys. And they probably have to make, they had to make a lot of difficult decisions coming up with those guys. Seager 
obviously comes up first. There's a lot of shortstops who are going to be on the market this winter anyway, so the Dodgers are probably going to be in that sort of market no matter what, whether it be for Seager or to add someone else. This sort of gets that out of the way now and with Turner being under team control through next year. It'll be interesting to see how they play it this year. I mean, obviously, Corey Seager, there's always been questions about his ability to play shortstop long-term, but he's been there and been a big league shortstop his entire career. Trey Turner has played second base and center field at different points in his big league career. So I'm sure they'll get creative with it. The Dodgers usually do, but it'll be really interesting to see how they line the two up two of them up uh, over the course of the rest of the year. Yeah, never a dull moment with the Dodgers. That is our Dodgers beat writer, Fabian Ardaya. Fabia, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Keith, I think the the Nats teardown kind of became one of the main storylines uh, of this trade deadline. We knew they were at a crossroads of sort. How surprised were you to see that Turner was on the move? Because I I really thought they would wait until the offseason if they moved him. But I also thought they maybe would have fancied themselves contenders in 2022. And by getting rid of him, they've kind of said, hey, we're going in a different direction even next season. Yeah, I would agree with that. If they they could have kept Turner and then tried to re-sign Scherzer in the offseason or signed, I guess sign somebody else. And I wouldn't say a replacement, but but sign somebody else. I wonder also, did they think that they uh are they worried that they're not gonna get much out of Steven Strasburg next year? Right? He just had thoracic outlet syndrome surgery to repair TOS. Uh, you know, a lot of guys have taken a long time to come back from that. Some guys enough guys have never come back from that. Maybe they're looking on the uh, trying to be realistic about their contention to odds of contention for next year. And I mean, they've the, that whole world series core is just about gone. They're either hurt. Um, they're not there anymore. Or in the case of Patrick Corbin, obviously he's just not been the same. And so maybe they're looking and saying, okay, it's time to time to start to turn this over. And, and I don't know if they'd say rebuild, but it starting to look like one certainly. And you know, look, I, I I'm trying to come off as balanced as I possibly can when talking about the return from the Nationals. Josiah Gray and Kiebert Ruiz are real prospects. They were on my top 100 this offseason. Uh, Gray probably would have been on my top 50, except he was in the, my midseason top 50, except he was in the big leagues at the time. These guys are good. Um, they have risk, but they are good. And they could easily be part of a new core for the Nationals. That Nationals team that was contending for most of the decade and eventually did win the World Series, though, they were built around three absolute superstars, 
that were homegrown, to say nothing of who came in from outside. It's Steven Strasburg, number one overall pick. Bryce Harper, number one overall pick. Anthony Rendon, number six overall pick, but maybe would have been number one if he hadn't had a shoulder issue that entire spring for Rice. They don't have those guys right now. They don't have them currently in the system, and I don't think they traded for any guys like that in this at this point, at this deadline. So if I were looking at the – if I were in the Nationals organization saying, all right, how do we do that again? we got to get some stars. And Rizzo will go out and trade for stars. He'll go out and sign stars if he has the money to do so. But right now they don't have those guys anywhere, I think, within the organization from the major league level on down with obviously with the exception of the one homegrown star they have on the current roster in Soto. Yeah, and I think we have a couple other teams really at the crossroads. We knew the Chicago Cubs were going to be among the sellers at the deadline. The writing was on the wall there. So let's bring on Sahadev Sharma. He's one of our Cubs beat writers here to break it all down for us. Sahadev, thanks for joining us today. It's been a busy day for you and really (laughs) kind of a sad day for Cubs fans with so many pieces of that World Series team all getting traded. Yeah, you know, I try and stay focused on on my job with this, but it, it just scrolling Twitter and, and you know hearing from fans, it I understand it, it's got to be really tough for them. I didn't expect all three of Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez to be moved. It's a little bit surprising. It's got to be shocking for the fan base. I mean, these are the guys; they were the faces of the franchise. They they turned this franchise around from the lovable losers to expecting the playoffs every year, winning a World Series expectations have changed Uh, i've been covering this team for almost 10 years and and the expectations have completely changed uh over this over this last decade and and that's a great thing i think uh rizzo spoke to us yesterday and said uh kind of said you know i've i've taken i've completely when i came here from when i let to when i leave everything's completely changed and i can say the mission was accomplished and and he's pretty much right that this is a different organization than it once was I think they're trying to get back to being a deep farm system that can win consistently again, but we'll see how long that takes and how quickly they can shift things. They did. They had a good day as far as the front office is concerned. Uh, Very tough day for Cubs fans. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I was surprised to see the quality of some of the players coming back. I mean, specifically in the bias deal, Pete Crow Armstrong is part of that return. I mean, Keith, the, do you think the Mets were going to move Pete Crow Armstrong for a guy that they wouldn't necessarily have on the roster beyond this season? And no, well, I wonder, you know, Crow Armstrong was hurt. That didn't help. Um, and also they may have a bit of a surplus there potentially too. So I could sort of understand. I mean, they've got this, they basically have a, a position player prospect surplus anyway. And there's been talk that I have heard and also written too that Ronnie Mauricio made their shortstop prospect who I think is really going to hit. Uh, he's pretty erratic at shortstop, and I could definitely see him moving to center field in time, especially because they have, they have they just have surplus, right? They have other players. They have a, they also have a major league shortstop too, so it's not like there's room there's no room at the end for Mauricio right now. So maybe the way to get his bat to line up is to move him to center. Maybe trading Crow Armstrong now means that they could move Mauricio to center immediately and try to accelerate his development that way. Trevor Williams also headed to the Mets. Sahadev, as you look at what's left in Chicago, Wilson Contreras still there, at least as of now. We'll see if anything sneaks onto the old Twitter feed here in the next few minutes. Who actually benefits the most? Who actually steps into a role? Who are the Cubs looking at to see if they're a part of the future over the final two months of the season? Honestly, offensively, there's not a lot of position players that are going to come up right away. I, I, I 
racking my brain trying to figure out what position players they're going to have out there. It's, it's not a ton of guys that are going to move the needle. Uh, maybe they call up someone like Alfonso Rivas who, who can play first base, uh, you know, not a power bat, but makes contact and, and can hit for average. I'm not sure if he's an everyday uh, first baseman at the major league level, not for a winning club, at least that we'll see on that, what, what he develops into. Uh, but the pitchers, the two pitchers that I think are going to get a shot at, at starting are Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson. Keegan Thompson just got sent back down. He'll be stretched out. Uh, that's those are the two names you'll have to watch that Cubs fans will have to watch uh, Nico Horner just got hurt but he had been playing uh, every day anyways uh, he just got hurt again uh, I assume when he comes back he'll be the everyday shortstop uh, there are intriguing guys that that maybe end up as bench players or maybe they t- close some holes and, and can be everyday players. Patrick Wisdom has been really impressive. He's got a huge hole at the top of the zone. He, he can't hit it, uh, fastballs up there right now. If he can do something to close that, maybe he's an everyday player, but he looks like he, they've, they've found a quality bench bat at worst uh, right there. We'll see what Sergio Alcantara is. I'm sure he's going to be around for the rest of the season. It, there's nothing that's going to blow fans away this year there's there'll be some relievers that are interesting cody hewer they who they uh uh got from the white Sox. uh there's uh, manny rodriguez who will probably be called up soon enough those are interesting relievers possible high leverage late inning guys uh but right now it's it's about like i I've gotten really good reports on Crow Armstrong that people are uh, think the Cubs got a great high ceiling guy there. Uh, defense for sure there. I don't know on the offense. I'll, we'll, we'll see on the offense, but it sounds like he's he's going to stick in center field. The Cubs need a future center fielder. So it's it's good for the system. It's it's good for the organization. I'm not sure if there's a ton to watch this <laughs> these final two months. That's that's just maybe the reality that Cubs fans have to accept. But there's not there there, there aren't a lot of AAA guys knocking on the door, and that's been part of the problem. They didn't uh, develop and draft well enough over the last few years to kind of replenish uh, the system and not have to worry about spending on their core guys. Now it, it's just it's a different it's a different situation than they were five years ago. We'll see we'll see how they act in the in the winter when free agency comes along and if any of these guys come back. I wouldn't be shocked by Javi Baez coming back, but that's it's premature to talk about that right now, I think. Yeah, that was going to be the last question I had for you. Of those core three guys that were traded, who do you think is most likely to return as a free agent? Do you think it is, in fact, Baez, if you had to speculate on that now? If I had to if I had to say right now, I'd say it's Baez. They were, they were close. They were close last spring before the pandemic hit. I, I think if the pandemic never hit, he'd, he'd have an extension right now. Everything changes. I think the reality of the that, that this team was in competing – and they had a, they got such a nice return from the Mets. They kind of forced Hoyer's hand here, and and maybe we'll see. They maybe there were enough uh, discussions that there certainly were in the past enough discussions that they know where each side stands when it comes to free agency. We'll see anything can happen in free agency, so it's not like it's not like I'd guarantee anything. But I also wouldn't rule that out. I'd be shocked if Chris Bryant comes back to the Cubs uh, over the winter. Rizzo, we'll see. I, I'd be a little surprised. I think they've kind of moved on there. But but like I said, anything can happen in the winter. But Javier Baez is a guy. I'd keep my eye eye on that. And I, I think it would make sense. Put him there. Madrigal at second. See where Nico Horner fits. If it's third base. If it's if they're they, they've experimented with him in center field. There there are possibilities here. And I think going after a shortstop in the in the winter makes sense because I don't think. 
putting Nico Horner there long term is the right way to, you know, put together a winning a World Series contending team, which I think they want to do in the near future, maybe not 2022, but they don't want to wait too long before they're a playoff contender. Yeah, I'm just curious to see if the moves they made actually lend themselves to, him, to them being more of a two to three year turnaround as opposed to a four or five year turnaround. Sahadov, thanks for dropping by and joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. He is Sahad of Sharma. He is our Cubs beat writer, one of our Cubs beat writers. Be sure to check out his work over at The Athletic. Keith, when you look at the group of players that we know are coming back to the Cubs through all of these deals, how do you feel like they did overall? They had to get younger. As obviously, part of, of the deadline for them is just getting pieces in place that could be part of that next core. You think about the return from the Darvish deal back in the winter. Where is their system at right now as we start to see more of these names filtering in? You know, it was interesting. I got a note from a scout who'd seen some of the players the Cubs had had acquired, um, this deadline at least. And uh, let's just say he was unkind. Boy, the Cubs are really doing a terrible job. I'm paraphrasing and cleaning it up. You know, it's essentially saying that's what happens when you kill your pro scouting department. And I will say, I don't really concur with that. I think they um, have added, like Nick Madrigal is a big leaker. I don't think he's a very good one, but he is a big leaker. I think Pete Carl Armstrong is a big leaker. I actually totally disagree with Sahadev. I don't think Carl Armstrong is a high ceiling player in the least. I think he is a high floor player. He's a center. He is no doubt center fielder. He's going to play there for a, probably for a long time. These are really, really good complementary pieces. Now, maybe that's fine. Maybe the Cubs are going to suck for a couple of years and have some high draft picks. I mean, that worked for them last time, right? Chris Bryant was second overall pick in the draft. Javi Baez was ninth. Uh, Albert Almora, who never really developed, but he was still he was physically there, right? When they won the World Series, he was sixth. Ian Happ, I believe, was a top ten pick also. So. You know, maybe that's what it is. We're going to trade for some complementary pieces here and then go try to draft our superstars. Okay, that's a strategy, certainly. Um, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm looking at all of these guys. I actually thought they did well in the Anthony Rizzo trade because um, they did get Kevin Alcantara. That's a high ceiling guy. There they went for it. They went for a big upside guy. But I'm thinking we had Chris Bryant and Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo and who did I forget? Well, they had you Darvish, right, back in the offseason. You just rattle off all these, oh, Kimbrel, they just traded. And did we get a superstar any of those deals? Future superstar, even a two, three years down the line superstar? No. Now, of course, the way to get that would have been to trade these guys in December, right, or sooner, and that wasn't happening. So, and who knows? Maybe that's, that's you know, an ownership conversation rather than a front office conversation. But I can see that perspective, saying there's not a lot of ceiling here. They took some really safe guys because – the analysts would say would pick these guys out, but you need scouts to go find maybe the guys who are further away and identify the ones who are potential superstars. So we're going to check in on some trades that have been reported in the last 30 minutes or so as I gather them up. But I've got a, a question for you, Keith, about the the Twins' return for Jose Barrios. You said maybe the Cubs didn't get any superstars or future superstars back as part of their returns. And I think if as I look at the trades that have gone down over the past week, I think the Blue Jays have maybe the best chance of having landed a superstar really with two, I think, high ceiling guys in Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson. I thought that was a great return for Barrios compared to previous years prospects moved at the deadline. We don't usually see guys as highly regarded as Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson uh, on the move in these deals. It's just something teams have shied away from. Yeah, well, I think what you're seeing there, as soon as I heard those names, I said, 
that makes sense. Toronto's down on those two guys. And I'm I'm 99% sure that that's what it is. It's not to say they're not good prospects. Right? Austin Martin was still on my top 50. He was on my top 20. But he's different than he was. And the Twins are going to have some work to do to try to undo some changes. I think he's made to his own swing. He's become very inside out here. So it's high contact. It's always been high contact. But now it's high contact without much oomph. There's not a lot of power there. They just have to get him into his legs more and to get him to drive the ball. Because he's certainly built to be able to hit for some power, at least. Uh, I think he's safe. I think he's a big leaguer. I think he's going to post really good on-base percentages, and they'll give him some value. But the chance for him to be a star just went from this to this with this swing change that that he's undergone that we've really just seen this year. And Woods Richardson, never been as high on him as the industry, and his velocity's backed up this year. And I think he's probably a reliever in the end. And it's a little bit of Toronto, I think, maybe seeing these guys play more, get them over a longer period and say, all right, they're not quite as good as we thought they were. That's fine. We're willing to include them in deals. And in the Twins' case, maybe valuing the fact these guys are pretty high profile. And they were certainly, you look at a lot of prospect lists for the Blue Jays, these guys were at or near the top of it. But did they see these guys this year? And I'm not, that's not a specific criticism of the Twins. A lot of teams don't have the pro scouts they used to. I've been going to a bunch of games recently. I was at Aberdeen the other day. There were two scouts there. That doesn't make any sense. A week, what, a few days before the deadline, the Rays Farm Club, Bowling Green, was there. You think the Rays aren't potentially looking at somebody? There should have been eight scouts there, potentially. And one scout was there specifically, I think, to see one player on the Rays who wasn't traded after all. Hmm. Well, even with those concerns that you outlined for Martin and and Richardson, do you see the return that the Jays got, or the gave the return that the Twins got for Barrios, rather, being better than what the Nats got, relatively speaking, for Scherzer and Turner? I mean, again, with both of those players in that deal, that's what made that return feel a bit light. If it was only Turner, I think that would have been a good deal for the Nats. It seems like they they missed an opportunity, whereas the Twins sort of got full value. Yeah, I think the Twins did fine. It's not a criticism. Again, like that's just value for value. There, there are always two ways to look at trades, but I think particularly for deadline trades. One is do the math, like I just said earlier. You're going to say, well, Jose Barrios, how much was he likely to be worth from now through the end of his contract? That's a year and two months it's probably, you know, best case scenario, four to five wins above replacement. He's really durable. There's value in that. Uh, but he's never, you know, he's, there's also a bit of a cap on how good he can be, or at least how good he's been so far over five years in the majors. And you factor that against the what he's likely to make, what he's making now, what he's likely to make next year. Okay, compare that to what are they going to get in value out of six years of control of Austin Martin, six years of control of Simeon Woods Richardson. They probably traded for more war than they just gave up. And the first three years of each of those players costs essentially nothing. So straight math, was this a good deal? Yeah, absolutely. A few more. Could they have gotten more? I, you know, that's the other, the other way to look at deals like that is, well, what was the market for the player, right? Would some, could somebody have offered more? Should they have held out for more? Should they have waited till the offseason? You never know the answer to that. But the price for a player or for his services is determined by the demand, not just by the math. Yeah, I imagine with San Diego being linked to Barrios, there was probably some sort of conversation between those two teams at some point here in the last 48 hours. Uh, a few of the trades that rolled in after 4 o'clock, completed before 4, rolled in after in terms of when they were reported. The Braves added Richard Rodriguez from the Pirates. The Braves actually added a lot of players. Uh, Jock Peterson, you know, more than a week ago uh, to add outfield depth. Eddie Rosario basically just taking on the contract from Cleveland. Uh, so just kind of a, a strange deadline for them because obviously with the Acuna injury, going all in, making a big splash this season probably wasn't 
the best choice, but I think the moves they made at least give them a chance to stay afloat in the race for the NL East. Yes. Um, that's, you know, I feel like their situation too was surprising because they thought they had more assets to trade and it seemed like they just chose not to. Maybe they, maybe the industry doesn't value them like I valued them, but they had they had young players. They had an excess of pitching. They um, have a lot of pitchers there who've just never quite panned out. I feel like you and I maybe even talked about this a couple of weeks ago where couldn't they trade some of those guys? Those guys would still have value. They were top. They were highly rated prospects. They haven't figured it out yet. A lot of those players, a lot of pitchers like that will just need to go to another stop potentially to be able to go to another, you know, work with another pitching coach, get to another environment. Those players do tend to get traded and still have some value, even if they haven't managed to succeed at the first stop. Maybe other teams didn't want those players. That's also possible. You know, we think we're not privy to a lot of, uh, to most of these discussions that go on between teams. And I, having been on the other side too, I also know a lot of what's reported is rumor. Oh, this team's really interested in that player. This player might be available. Yeah, most of that's not true. Is that posturing, though, to to change perceptions about a player? Sure. Teams love to leak stuff to the media because they know we'll kind of run with anything, <laughs> right? Please, sir, may I have some more trade rumors? Yes, that's essentially, especially this time of year. And, you know, I don't, I don't like talking about that stuff because even when I hear something and I think my source is good, I wonder if I'm getting played. I know a couple times over the course, I've been doing this long enough, I know a couple times where someone has told me something that, I discovered afterwards was either outright inaccurate. I can think of one example of that or direct, you know, incorrect enough. Like it was yeah, sort of semi truthful so that, but they had a point, right? They had an agenda. So as opposed to, you know, the other information where I know I'm getting something reasonably accurate or can confirm it in some other way. So that's a game that everybody plays because they think it works. Whether it actually works, does that move the needles and get other GMs to call and say, oh no, my God, I'll give you a better prospect in exchange. I don't know, but I know that people think it works that way. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job Job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. So one of the other big trades that went down earlier this week was the one-for-one swap between the A's and the Marlins, Starling Marte to Oakland, Jesus Lazardo to Miami. I was surprised that Oakland gave up on Lazardo. I think Starling Marte fits. They had a need in the outfield. They needed to get an upgrade. They had a need in the middle infield, too, that they don't appear to have filled, at least at this point in time. Uh, but how surprised were you to see Lazardo on the move? Um, my reaction, I was surprised when I saw it. And then I thought, is Oakland just tired of him 
being hurt that he's been on the injured list for lots of different reasons. It's not even all the same thing. And one of the stints he had on the injured list was for COVID-19 too. But he's never had a full healthy season since his junior year of high school. I think his innings maximum for any calendar year is 109. And so given his age and how little he's pitched, did they look and say, hey, this guy's talented, but he's not a 32 start a year guy, not anytime soon. So you view him rather than viewing him as a guy who's just, he's part of our major league rotation right now. When you're trying to win, did they look at him instead and say, no, this is a guy that we, we should view more like a prospect. It's two or three years before he's able to handle 140 inning, 30 start workload. And we can't wait for that. We're trying to win right now. So I understood it. I, I think I understood it because I've always had reservations about Luzardo's durability. His stuff's always been there. Actually, his breaking ball's gotten quite a bit better over the last several years, but he always had the big fastball. He's always had a great changeup. Even going back to high school, he had a great changeup. And the breaking ball's gotten a bit better, and he's, I think, really learned how to use it better, especially left on left. So there's something there. I mean, if he does have the 30-start season, he, he's going to be really good. And people are going to say, oh, my God, how could Oakland give that guy up? Keep in mind, at the time of the trade, his durability was a very, very open question. Yeah, a four-pitch lefty with that kind of velocity and at least good command, hard to find, and a good buy low, it seems, for the Marlins, who just added to that stockpile of young pitching. So other trades that went down in the last little while, the Cardinals added two veteran pitchers. It's kind of an uninspiring deadline for them. Jay Happ and John Lester, the Cards needed some innings. Uh, obviously, Jack Flaherty should be back at some point in the next few weeks. So that rotation could be a lot better for the final two months. But did you get the sense that the Cardinals missed an opportunity to make this roster significantly better at this deadline? Well, I mean, yes, I think so. Um, anyway, who knows? Maybe they were trying to do Nolan Arenado, Arenado part two. Right? No, no, no. You don't know how this works. You give us your best player. We give you three guys who actually aren't very good. And also you send us a bunch of money. No, we have this on paper. That's how this works. Um, you know, also they're, oh God, they're nine games out of the, out of first place in the loss column. I mean, Brewers are very quietly running away with that division at this point. Could the Cardinals, you know, reasonably argue, what are they, six out of a wild card spot in the loss column also? Could they argue that, you know, one, that their team is probably a little better than their current record of 51 and 51 indicates, and two, that there wasn't a trade out there that was likely, that was going to improve their playoff odds enough to justify giving somebody up, giving up real prospects from the system? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, look, if Trey Turner were, you know, would, that, would I have given up Matt Liberatore, their best prospect, to get a year and a half of Trey Turner? Yeah, I actually would do that. Um, but if they weren't interested in a deal like that, slash maybe that wasn't enough. Maybe the Nationals decided they wanted a different package instead. It's also possible. Uh, I don't know that there was a trade out there that made sense for them, given who else was was dealt. At least looking at the roster of players who's been traded, who should the Cardinals have gotten? who would have moved the needle enough for them to say, yes, we will pay something in prospects. Yeah, I think it would have been a player like Turner, somebody who's going to be on the roster beyond this season because they're not in a position to add rentals. Uh, we can kind of close the book on the NL Central. Let's talk about what the Brewers did. Eduardo Escobar was added in a trade with the Diamondbacks on Wednesday. They added a reliever, John Curtis, so a little more depth there. They added Daniel Norris for another relief arm as well. I didn't think they had an overwhelming need. I thought corner infield depth in particular was a trouble spot for them just based on first base specifically. You can get a lot of guys to play over there and, and be passable, 
But the addition of Escobar has resulted in Keston Hira, who we've talked a lot about on these pods. He was actually just optioned to AAA Nashville. Did the Brewers, in their position, do enough to fortify their hold on the NL Central and make themselves a credible threat to the teams in the NL West that we all expect to be playing deep into October? I actually think they already were. If I were in their shoes, I probably wouldn't have done much either. I think they they handled this right. But plus their farm system is not in great shape right now. And so you you don't want to you don't want to end up with the worst farm system in baseball, which they're not that far above that right now. Uh, because they've traded they've made so many trades to keep this team going. They're still good. And hey, you know, I thought they were close coming to the end towards the end of a window of contention. Maybe not. And maybe if I'm if you're in their shoes, you're thinking, well, we maybe we should keep the couple of guys we have in the farms is the Garrett Mitchells who could get there very quickly for us. Um, or South Relic, who they just drafted. Maybe these guys get there fast and we can kind of keep this rolling for another you know, two, three years beyond what was originally expected. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that approach, but why give away a bunch of prospects now when you are almost certainly going to win that division? And the top of your rotation looks really good for the postseason too. I just, I don't see the argument there and I'm fine with them. If they'd done nothing at all, I would have been fine. I want to get to the Phillies for a moment. They hooked up with the Rangers on a deal. Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy going to Philadelphia. Spencer Howard, pretty interesting name, going back to Texas. And I see the Rangers as a team that is without direction right now, at least from afar. I can't quite figure out what they're trying to do. I do like Howard as a like sort of buy low for them. They can afford to give him a ton of innings as long as he's healthy enough to pitch those innings because they're nowhere near a playoff spot and they can just sort of see what happens and move ahead from there. Uh, but do you think for the Phillies, Gibson and Kennedy, is that enough for them to close that gap on the Mets? No, but... Um... Well, let me rephrase. Probably not, but they also didn't really give anything up. I mean, this was for value. They might have had the best deal of any best you know, set of acquisitions of any of these contenders adding. They might get the best grade from me right now because you know Gibson and Kennedy, they absolutely helped. They address key needs for the Phillies. Plus, they get a prospect in Hans Kraus. I probably think I think he's probably still a reliever in the end, but he's been really good as a starter everywhere he's pitched so far. So I wouldn't move him to the bullpen until the need is there. Uh, they got a prospect in this, right? That doesn't usually happen. And what they sent back, I like Spencer Howard. I think he's a you know got a chance to be a mid rotation starter. He probably needed a change of scenery. He was not working with the Phillies. They've obviously had some development issues that are pretty well documented elsewhere. And then two other guys who are just not really even prospects. Kevin Gowdy throws hard, but it is dead straight. He's given up a lot of hard contact this year. And then just a Florida complex league throw-in arm. I don't – I mean, at that point, did the Rangers just want to save some money? I think – I would have thought Gibson and or Kennedy would have had more trade value than that. Also, if they just gone out there and said – they were willing to include Hans Kraus in a trade. Anybody interested? They would have gotten a prospect back for a different prospect back for him. They, maybe they would have gotten a young major leaguer back for him. People like Hans Kraus for what he is. I think a lot of people also agree with me that his delivery is just going to end up pushing him to the bullpen. But he's something. And that's three pieces, three players, all with some value attached to them, all smushed together. And what you get back is Spencer Howard, who's fine, but had some injury issues, as you mentioned. It's shoulder, not elbows. So it's always concerning and two fringe to non-prospects, that was really surprising to me. Dombrowski did a really nice job there. Let's shift the focus over to the AL East for a bit. We'll start with the Yankees. They made some 
big moves, of course. I mentioned Rizzo a little earlier going there in that trade with the Cubs, and then Joey Gallo in a trade with the Rangers. It could be a little crowded based on how that depth chart will come together if, and this is a massive if, if all of those position players are healthy at the same time. If Voight comes back, you have Voight and Rizzo at first base in DH. Now you got to play Giancarlo Stanton in the outfield if you want to have all three of those bats in the lineup together. Uh, what was your takeaway just with the Yankees' moves overall? And, of course, they added Andrew Heaney late today, too, so they did get a quality pitcher to bolster that rotation. Yeah, I kind of like that. Uh, I think they did fine. I thought that the deal with the Cubs was the most interesting because they gave up. This guy, you know, is probably a reliever, but a really good arm. We finally, we're finally seeing them start to trade from some of this, I guess maybe not finally, but more trade from this horde of hard-throwing pitchers who might end up relievers in the end that they have in that system. And Alcantara is kind of, he's pretty interesting. And especially now that he's filled out, um, he's still only 18. At 16, he looked like a child out there. And now he goes away for the pandemic, obviously grows up 16, 18. Boys can add a lot of muscle pretty easily. He does so. And now he he looks pretty legit. Uh, you know, they didn't give up any of their elite prospects, so that's great. But they, they paid for that one, certainly, for I'm not sure how much they're really going to get out of Rizzo. It seemed like they were very locked in on just getting a left-handed bat there. But I thought the Gallo trade was very good for them, uh, particularly the revised trade. The original rumor, which I guess had to be reworked at some point, was actually a worse deal for the Yankees uh, in terms of what they were paying out. So I, I think they did well. I think they upgraded at a reasonable cost without putting too much of a dent in the upper levels of the system. Could they have gone to the Nationals and said, we'll give you Anthony Volpe and Jason Dominguez, who I know everyone thinks he's a superstar and that's fine, but he's also 18, right? And still extremely high risk and still a ways from the majors. Could you have done that and gotten the Scherzer-Turner package? Yeah, probably. I think so. Can you even imagine Yankees Twitter, though, if Dominguez had been traded? I mean, all-time great dumpster fire. Well, for Scherzer and Turner, right? That would have been the most amazing part. Right, because how think of the conflict, right? <laughs> we just got Mad Max, who's going to the Hall of Fame someday, and Trey Turner, who is one of the best players in baseball. But we gave up the Martian. That would right? have been so but, fun, though. Oh, oh, it would have been absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I would have had to log out of Twitter. <laughs> I probably should anyway. I'm going to log out of Twitter uh, after today, not permanently, but just for a few days, just to detox because it's uh, it's been a lot lately. <laughs> uh, we're still waiting for the return on Chris Bryant to the Giants, by the way. If we get some details on that, we'll be sure to pass it along. Uh, I was waiting for a, a bigger counterpunch from the Red Sox. You know, you look at what they were able to do at the deadline. I thought maybe one more starting pitcher, Kyle Gibson for innings there, maybe would have made some sense just based on the way they're built. Obviously, they're expecting Chris Sale back, and that's the classic, well, we acquired an ace after the trade deadline. Like that's it, it ticks that box for them. Uh, did you think there was another move coming? They traded for Kyle Schwarber, so they do have one more left-handed bat, and I'm curious to see how they make the pieces fit there since... Schwarber, you know, theoretically could play first base, but he's appeared in one major league game at the position. So uh, how do you feel about what Boston did at this deadline? Um, Yeah, they didn't do a whole lot. They actually traded away Michael Chavis, which a lot of people in my mentions are saying is addition by subtraction. I never really bought into Chavis much as a prospect. I didn't think that swing was totally going to work. Um, oh, it looks like we have the return for Chris Bryant, too. It is uh, Alex Canario. Well, that's interesting. That's one of the Giants' better young position player prospects. Um, that's pretty good, actually, As even if it were just him as the return for, um, as the return for two months of Bryant. I am, I am kind of impressed by that, actually. 
um, as well as Caleb Killian, who is also like the reasonable enough prospect himself. I mean, I think he's got a chance to get there at least as a reliever, um, extreme strike thrower, which is uh, in and of itself kind of interesting. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good return. Sorry, I didn't mean to hijack. No, that's I'm, I'm glad you saw it. I'm yeah. glad that was passed along yeah. in the stream. Believe it or not, uh, asking questions while watching Twitter and watching Slack and watching like other stuff and checking other sources all simultaneously is quite the, the juggling act. So I'm just glad we know who the return is in that case. Yep. Um, yeah, I actually like that. That's, that's really pretty interesting. Um, you know, it's funny. I don't know that I agree with that scout friend of mine. I think the Cubs did okay. I like the lottery tickets they got from the Yankees. Um, they're probably better than lottery tickets. It's a little unfair. I like this return here. Pico Armstrong is fine. For two months of bias, it's fine. I just, you know, Nick Madrigal is what he is. You know, I have a hard time with just people get so locked in on the batting average. It's like, guys, we're, we're, it's not 1987 anymore. What bad year? It's a rabbit ball year. It's not 1988 anymore, right? We know better. Nick Madrigal is fine, but you got to do something more than hit 300. Yeah. Uh, you know, it you know, play elite defense, he doesn't do that. Really run, he doesn't do that. Power. <laughs> so, <laughs> you've always been uh, on the low end uh, of of Nick Madrigal in terms of uh dreaming on his potential. Uh, I'll, I'll put it that way. I think that's a a good way to sum yeah, it up. You know, this whole they all add power. Everyone gets bigger. Hey, I I mean, I never got bigger, right? It's right. We didn't it, this not everybody. <laughs> And Nick Madrigal looks a lot more like me than he does like most big leaguers. So sorry, it just is what it is. He's gonna he's going to play in the big leagues for a long time, and I guarantee you he will be overrated because he's short and he plays really hard, and other factors. Yeah, a lot of effort. It's good to have that. Yeah. Uh, a broader question for you, Keith. Among the younger prospects that were moved in the last week, who do you think has the best chance of developing into an impact player or someone who's a consensus top 100 prospect who isn't necessarily viewed that way right now? I mean, the, look, I'm super intrigued by Alcantara, the Kevin Alcantara, who the Cubs just got. I mean, he's got like 100 pro at-bats, right? I'm probably just getting ahead of myself. <laughs> But that could really look pretty good pretty quickly. He's a center fielder. The swing really works. The body's looking good. It's what you, when you sign a kid, you know, when, when teams sign these players out of Latin America, they often scout them and agree to terms when they're still 14, sometimes even 13. You hope they're going to do what he's done from age 16 to 18 physically. The maturation is there. The body looks good. It's, oh, he hasn't lost his athleticism. Now he's stronger. Now he can, oh, yep, this is what we, this is exactly what we were hoping for. I find that one really, really interesting. Um, you know, and he's a guy who's not on my top 100. Right? We, there were a couple of top 100 prospects traded. Three I can think of off the top of my head. Actually, Crow Armstrong might have been at the very back of mine. So that would make four. Him, Austin Martin, um, Josiah Gray, and Kieber Ruiz on my top 100 back in the offseason. I think that's everybody. Okay. Top 100 guys who was traded. Yep. Think of anybody who was high enough profile. I think that is it for current guys. And of okay. course, Lizardo, a former top 100 guy, but long since graduated yes, from lists like that. Yep. yep. Spencer Howard was too, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and I think also that's the other group of players that I think you can find more readily available at the deadline. The current top 100, especially top 50 guys, hard to get, but former, failed, fallen, however you want to describe them, graduated, 
top 100, top 50 prospects. Those types of guys are actually gettable uh, at this point. Uh, just kind of closing the book now on the AL East. The Rays, I kept waiting for that other big move. I mean, they got Nelson Cruz. They got the big bat early in the process. Yeah. And they did a bunch of other Rays-type things. I was a little surprised they traded away Rich Hill just because I thought veteran innings especially were still something they'd want to stockpile given they're going to be relying quite a bit on Luis Patino, I think, for quality innings over these final two months and possibly mm-hmm. the postseason. Shane McClanahan, who's looked very good for most of his rookie campaign. like Those guys are pretty important to the Rays because of that Tyler Glasnow injury that occurred a few weeks back. Yes. I was surprised they gave up Hill just because it's depth, but I wonder if it was just roster space, innings, give the guy a chance to go pitch somewhere else. Maybe they think there's more coming from Patino. Obviously, long term, I think there's quite a bit coming from him. It does seem like they're banking a little bit on that one. Also, when you talk to the Rays people, they know their system's really good. They know their system's still going to churn guys out. And that's why they could trade a Joe Ryan, for example. Joe Ryan, when he gets back from the Olympics, probably going to step right into the Twins rotation. They were able to do that because they they believe they have the pitching depth to deal some of those guys, to trade trade from surplus and be able to, to fill in behind those guys. Yeah, Shane Boz probably uh, in the mix for some sort of work at the big league level before the end of the season, too. And maybe they just didn't find the right fit to make that big, splashy move. Obviously, you have to have the pieces fall into place, and they just didn't quite didn't quite see that, at least uh, based on what we know right now. So we're an hour after the deadline. Maybe something could break. Now, I kind of feel like we're getting closer to that safe zone where if we were going to find out about a deal that happened just before the wire, it probably would have been reported by now. Mentioned the Braves outfielders and Richard Rodriguez going to their bullpen a little earlier. They also got Jorge Soler. So you had Soler, Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, and Eddie Rosario. Like what? How? I've never seen a team acquire that many outfielders at one trade deadline before. Right, do they know you can only play three? Yeah, I guess. I guess they just wanted to rebuild the whole set. And he's actually been looking more like the Soler of two years ago. I mean, he's kind of all or nothing. Um, but I'm no, I'm good with that. I'm good with what they did. And they basically gave up nothing, right? Bryce Wilson was traded. Okay, so Bryce Wilson. So he's a. I was talking about that earlier. He is a name. One of the names I would put in that category, right? Wilson, Tuki Toussaint, uh, Kyle Wright. Who else am I forgetting? Other Braves, uh, Atlanta pitching prospects who haven't worked out yet. Other teams would still take shots at those guys, even just because it hasn't worked out for you. Think of how many pitchers we've seen who needed to go to a second stop, even a third stop sometime before it worked out. We just had to fail some in the majors before finally turning around and succeeding. So, um, oh, that's really interesting. So, uh, but to your point, yes, I think they've, I think they have now acquired enough outfielders. They will be able to field a complete team. Yeah. Bryce Wilson goes to the Pirates as part of that Richard Rodriguez deal. Oh, Richard Rodriguez. There I, you I go. think that's yep. a, it's a good fit, I'm though. I'm DeVito. He's got a good arm. I mean, they could, no, he's not really a huge prospect. He's got an arm. He's got an arm. He has an arm. <laughs> Two, actually. Yes. Uh, yes. So Only one's required, though. Bryce Wilson, I think, in Pittsburgh gets chances to start every fifth day. In Atlanta, it was up and down. Role was you know constantly in flux. So I just think for development purposes, it's good for him to go to a rebuilding team to possibly reach that potential of being a long-term starter. Uh, Before we go, Keith, which teams would you mark as big winners from this deadline, either contenders that got significantly better or teams playing for the future that you felt just did particularly well with the players they got back? I mean, Dodgers, obviously. Easily, yeah. Yeah. The Giants getting Bryant is nice. It seems really good. That deal seems very good for both sides. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, the Phillies, it's just one real, one significant deal, but I liked it quite a bit for them. Um, I think they did very well. Uh, you know, like, I don't know that I loved every deal necessarily, but for Pittsburgh, just to be like, nope, we're selling them all. That's it. You know, we'll take your best. We know we don't have the best, you know, our store, we sold out of the luxury goods already, but here's what we got. I think they did pretty, I think they did reasonably well. Uh, In Toronto, it was more than just the deadline. If you look at everything, they, they started early, right? Give them credit for being aggressive early, trying to add pieces, even if just bullpen guys. So what? Great. Good for them to, to, to do that, to get out there and be, be aggressive like that. Um, I feel like that'll get a little bit overlooked because the deals weren't today and because they weren't huge names, but I'm all in on, on GMs saying, no, we're going to start early. We don't have to wait till July 30th. There's the sooner we get these guys, the more they help us. Yeah. And I would, I'd add the twins to the list of teams that I think did pretty well overall. I, I like the, the fact that they got Joe Ryan back in that Nelson Cruz deal. I think he could give them some big yes. beginnings. I think they did well in the Barrios trade. I think the Hansel Robles got them. Michael Chavis, you mentioned Chavis leaving Boston. I probably am not as low uh, on Chavis as you know your Twitter followers, but why not take a chance? See if that power continues to develop. Maybe you have something. Maybe you've got more of a bench piece. He might be a swing change guy mm-hmm. too. I mean, he's actually the opposite. We're always trying to increase long angle, increase launch angle. For me, he's always been too uphill. Uh, it's not like he's no feel to hit, but it's just hard to hit. Like you know, it's been so uphill, dead pull power approach. Who knows? And oh, a guy like that who has some kind of carrying tool, elite defense, pretty big raw power, get him to a different environment, new coaches. You never know. Maybe the kid at that point says, hey, I'm ready for a change. It didn't work. I'm in a new spot, new start, new new eyes. Let's try something else. Absolutely. You should. It's Bryce Wilson. Like you said, he'll get a chance to pitch every fifth day. Maybe they'll change the approach. He's really needed to find a good, reliable second pitch to go with the fastball, to be as effective as the fastball to keep hitters from sitting on it. Maybe getting to a different spot with different coaches is the thing that unlocks that for him. On the flip side, biggest losers or teams that missed their opportunity, who would you say failed at the deadline? Um, I mean, that's easy, right? It's the Rockies. (laughs) I should have said non-Rockies division. I give the F to Dick Montfort. I'm not talking about the front office here, but you know, they've maybe Bill Schmidt is going to be the full-time GM. I've heard that's, that's a, at least a strong possibility, but he's not now. And I just wonder if it was, you can't really do anything. You trade Michael Gibbons, but that's it. We're not trading Trevor story right now. You know, that's been a couple of months. Montfort should have, this whole process has been bad. It's just, it's not a well-run organization. And they're suffering for it. So, I mean, to me, that was the, yeah, I would say they were the sort of the biggest loser of all. Um, And it's kind of easy, I guess, to point to them. But they, yeah, they should have done more. You know, on the one hand, I want to say I'm surprised Baltimore didn't do a whole lot more, but who were they going to trade, right? They don't really have the, they didn't have impending free agents, uh, you know, highly productive veterans nearing free agency even they, they just don't have those guys they've traded them away and they've been filling in with some other players who are good you know for some who some of whom have turned out to be good but probably they don't want or feel any particular need to trade those guys right now 
Yeah, I didn't feel like they were in a great spot to get a lot better right now. Yeah. But the general trajectory of their rebuild still seems to be mostly on track. A lot of good young pitching coming to that system. Adley Rutschman, you know, it, it's it's still a very bright future in Baltimore, even though things were very quiet for them on the trade front at this deadline. Because I'm willing to say, I think we've learned about all the deals and I'm going to sign it off. I, it's good. I'm sure something will break after we're done, but we are going to wrap up this episode of the athletic baseball show. Before we go, I'd like to let you know, you should check out the Keith law show. Josh Levine was the guest this week. You guys talked a lot about Mary Shane, the first female full-time play-by-play announcer in major league baseball. That was a really interesting conversation. So I highly re- recommend that people check that out. Uh, you can hear me on the rates barrels podcast and our full suite of fantasy baseball shows. If you're checking us out live for the first time, be sure to subscribe to, the Athletic Baseball Show, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one. This is a very good time to get in, get all of the trade deadline coverage that we had. $3.99 a month gets you in the door at theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. We would greatly appreciate it. On Twitter, he's at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show is back on Monday. Have a great weekend. 